Well, I have the, the task of announcing uh, what I think many of us are already informed on this morning as we come to church today to be with our family here, uh, that our dear brother and co-laborer in the gospel, Peter Bassel, uh, on Thursday went to be with the Lord and he crossed a finish line, undoubtedly to much cheers and the noise of heaven that one who was redeemed has finally come home. He's no longer over there. He's home now. And um, that's where Peter is. And I know I want to thank, on behalf of Debbie and the family, um, all of you who have played such an important role in this season of praying and support and texts and care and food and being available in whatever way you possibly could. Um, what a, what a display of what it looks like to be the body of Christ in our hours of need, as we just sang about a moment ago. Um, the funeral service for Peter and for you to be with the family uh, is going to be on Saturday. Visitation will be at 10. It'll be here. And the service will be at 12. And then we will have a, a guest reception uh, after the service. Um, you know, we always have folks that God is bringing home. That's what he does in these moments. And we, we don't have a big enough chapter for that. I totally get that. Right? We, we have a chapter that's here, not a chapter that's quite there yet. We're aware of that chapter, but we don't stare at it. Uh, heaven does not feel about this moment the same way we feel about it. And, and God's not yelling at us over that. None of us have been to heaven. We don't see things through an eternal lens. We're just educated about seeing things through an eternal lens. And so uh, it is not a somber mood in heaven. It is, it is a celebration of great joy. Uh, it is a somber mood here. And so if, if you're trying to just, without any sense of humanity, shift to joy... Uh, and you're having a hard time doing that, I'm having a hard time doing that because I'm a human being and I live on earth. And Peter was one of those guys who um, made this place what it is. Um, you're in a church, you bump into people and they've got one story after another to tell about Peter Passel. A moment of need and a moment that he cared for them. So, this place feels a little empty to me today. And I know it does for you guys. So, can I ask you to particularly be praying this week as a lot of adjustments are being made for, for Debbie and for Bo and Lindsay and for Britt um, as they prepare for a funeral. I'm not going to do a funeral today. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do a funeral today. But we need funerals. We need moments when we pull God's truth into the moment that we are in. And uh, so we will do that on Saturday. And if, if you guys are available, some of us would love to pray for you after the service just to prepare you for a week where you're preparing to put an interesting period at the end of a sentence. Um, I want to say this. I, I know the message this morning is particularly relevant. God is gracious to arrange these things the way he does. 
Uh, this was not a message that I came up with after Peter died on Thursday, uh, but I do kind of want to dedicate it to um, my dear friend's family this morning and to many of us who have traveled in these places. There are going to be moments when life has a hard time making sense. And in this room were a lot of people who prayed for a different outcome. We weren't planning on being here on Sunday and hearing news about a departure yet again of someone that we've prayed for. I don't have a great explanation for you in terms of why it is that we pray and pray and labor and call out to God and sometimes the outcome is not what we were asking for at all. But I can promise you this, and we'll see this as we move through the book of Hebrews. I can promise you this, there, there is coming a day when we will see in full. We will not know in part anymore. We will see in full. In full. And in that moment, we will all say, yes, amen, that was good. That day is coming and we wait for it. Hebrews is a book written for those traveling through the days when that day hasn't arrived yet. Right, so I'm calling the title, again, that you guys weren't here last week, we're, we're about to venture into a study of the book of Hebrews. And so last week we introduced the idea of what does expository study look like when we study through books of the Bible the way we're about to. This week I'm going I'm to take you on a journey by introducing you to this book by starting in the middle of it, actually towards the end, in Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll find our way back to the beginning of it uh, next week. But the title today is Deep Doctrine for Daily Hope. And I, I want to stir up the fact that you and I live lives that need deep doctrine. You and I don't just need quick devotional thoughts. And I, I don't want to go ballistic and antagonistic toward the the everyday Bible and the five-minute Bible and the verse of the day and, and all the things that are in our lives right now that are recognizing, hey, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. How about a verse for the day? Uh, you're not going to survive on a verse for the day. A verse for the day is cute and it's cool if you've already eaten a full meal. And you're being sustained by deeper things. But if you're just trying to survive in this world on a verse for the day, it's not going to work. There are deep things, deep calls to deep, the Bible says. There are deep things in us. And there are going to be deep moments in life that call out for something deep. I need to see something deep and not just something casual and quick to get at. You know, my wife and I and our family got to go away for a week together, uh, last, the week before last. And so while we were away, I had seen a church in the area and was curious just to go check it out on Sunday morning. We were gone on that Sunday morning. So I went and visited uh, that church and uh, arrived at, at nine as the church started. And the church was over exactly at 10. So it was an hour, something you guys know nothing about here, do you? <laughs> 
it was a lovely setting. People were super friendly. I thought, it was, you know, it's a gospel-believing church. These are brothers and sisters that are there. But, you know, when I go to another church, I'm always trying to learn and pay attention to what things are done. And, and one of the things that, uh, I think there was things that were done well there. I think there were things, I took notes. I, I benefited from insights that were brought in the message that was there. But, you know, when, when you preach for 30 minutes to 35 minutes, um, you, you tend, your messages tend to live in. So what's going on with you? And here's how something could help you where you are. They don't, they don't have enough time to, to go deep into what's going on in here. And oh, by the way, this is about us too, right? So it can't do both. It just can't. And we're used to living in a, in a life that doesn't wrestle with deep things, so when you choose to study through the book of Hebrews, have you read Hebrews? It's full of stuff that will make your head scratch. It's full of unfamiliar settings and reference points that aren't from your backyard or from your time period or from your experience. It's got names in it that you can't even pronounce. It's got practices in it. It's got hidden stuff that you didn't even know anywhere else in the Bible. It said stuff like that. So this is not a, this is not a shallow venture, right? This is a bit of a deep venture. And it gets birthed out of it. My whole hope today is to let you... Some, I'm going to introduce you to the people of Hebrews. What were they going through that generates the sound of this letter? What was their experience? Well, can I tell you their experience was that their life had become so hard and so difficult and they were so rocked by what they were experiencing in their life that they weren't sure they wanted to believe this. They didn't know if they wanted to follow Jesus any longer. Because if what Jesus is about and who he is works itself out in the daily spaces of life like this, maybe I've misunderstood something. I don't, I don't know that I want this. They were thinking about quitting, giving up on what they had come to believe in their faith. So I know we're in church and we're supposed to sing real loud and, and be passionate about these things. So it's not a good space for everybody to raise their hands when I say, anybody think about quitting You ever walk through a space in your life where it just so much doesn't make sense. And, and those moments are dangerous, difficult moments that can do something on the inside of you that you can go from being in one condition toward God to almost being antagonistic and angry toward him in another. That's these people. That's why you get the advice and the wisdom and the Holy Spirit's inspiration into their lives. So let me start with their life, which, which is an expository rule. If you're reading the Bible and maybe you're new to reading the Bible, I'm so glad to be able to encourage you in that. But if you're reading the Bible, the Bible treats you like a secondary audience. The primary audience are the people it's originally written to. You and I are intended to benefit from the word a little bit differently than they were. So when you go to figure out what does this mean to me, before you try to figure out what it means to you, you do need to figure out what did it mean to them? 
Because if you don't do that part, you can turn the Bible into anything you want. You can make it say all kinds of bizarre stuff. But as soon as you figure out, hey, what would the original audience have understood these words to mean? That's going to help you find some boundaries for what do I think it means, right? So I know this is the age of subjectivism, but nobody gets to posture themselves before the word of God and say, well, what does this verse mean to me? Right? I think we have presidents who tried that. Well, it depends on what the word is, is. I think one of them said something like that. Well, there's language here and there's something being said. And we, we first need to let it say what it says and not determine what does it mean to me? What does it mean? Period. And then how does it affect me is a little better question, right? I don't get to change the meaning of it so that it suits the way I feel. So, so here's the original audience, right? So location wise, we're not real sure exactly where this particular group of believers is. Some folks thought as far west as Spain. Uh, some folks thought maybe as far east as Jerusalem. I think the best case I've seen makes for this group to be in Italy, probably Rome would be a good location for where these particular folks are located. William Lane in his commentary says, the cumulative weight of the evidence points to men and women who participate in a small house fellowship loosely related to other house churches in an urban setting. He's got good reasons why he says that. Whose theological vocabulary and conceptions were informed by the rich legacy of Hellenistic Judaism. So these are, these are people who have been raised and lived in the Jewish tradition who came to know Christ in their lives. So their background is Old Testament Judaism, and they're now Christians following Jesus. Time frame, we're probably talking about mid-60s, first century. So that puts you about 30 years after the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the day of Pentecost. You're about 30 years later. Now, without going into a lot of details, for me, that catches my attention. Because what was happening at the cross, the resurrection, at the ascension especially, and the day of Pentecost? Because some stuff happened right there and some things got said right there that would tend to inform my expectations. What's the kingdom of God going to look like? Jesus gathers all of his disciples. Right at the end... Matthew chapter 28, we get the great commission and he explains to them all authority. Remember, I said this last week, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world. And he's going to ascend to a throne. And just before he ascends, he has a conversation with his disciples. <clears throat> Acts chapter one, they have some expectations. You and I have some expectations. Their expectations lead them to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Well, wouldn't you have kind of thought that if he's about to ascend to a throne and he says, all authority is mine. There's a new king and he has all authority. He can do whatever he wants. Is it now? You're restoring the kingdom to Israel. So what did you think that meant to them? 
No more Roman persecution. No more being dominated. No more being the odd people out. The people who can't get a job because they, they won't pay, play along with the business owners and the people who are doing all kinds of immoral things. We don't sleep around and drink around and do life the way they do those things. Jesus, you're finally going to change the landscape of how life feels for us. And Jesus turns around and says, it's not for you to know times and seasons that the father has set, but, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. All right. We're 30 years later, 30 years later under the idea. I mean, come on, where are you going with that? Jesus Christ has all authority in this world. He sits on a throne. He is the king. You go in his name and he's given you some kind of mysterious power by the Holy Spirit to go into all the world. And you're 30 years later in that enterprise. What do you think life should look like? Somebody ought to be on top of something, right? Some form of victory and overcoming and rewriting the script and life is different. Shouldn't you be seeing that pop up somewhere? And you get to Hebrews and you hear their lives and it's a little different story. And I'm going to race you through a bunch of advice given to them and word of God given to them. That's the reason it's being said is because of the condition of their lives. So we're going to learn about their condition by reading through some of these, but I wrote in your outline, the struggles of these believers. This letter is extremely strategic. It is saying what it is saying in order to meet these people in their moment. It answers the question, what on earth would you say to a people going through confusing, discouraging, and difficult circumstances? And you will have a chance to say that to someone. You will walk with people through these kinds of settings. Well, what do you say to them? Well, that's their moment. And the Holy Spirit's going to inspire the writer of Hebrews to say the things that he says. Last thought in your outline, struggle with the hostile environment of life in a fallen world context, leading to significant discouragement. These are brothers and sisters who expected their life to be different. And they are deeply discouraged to the point of considering quitting. And so here's what you hear as you navigate through. We'll just race through. I didn't pull all these verses, but there's several here. Hebrews chapter three, verse 12, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, right? Listen, please do not pretend to lecture this theologian by saying, wait, wait, did this guy just tell brothers to be careful about an evil, unbelieving heart? Did he just tell Christians that? Because that doesn't seem like it's even possible for them. Ah, interesting. Leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 15, as it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. All right. Now, if you're a Jewish person, you know exactly what that's about. If you're kind of new to the Bible, what rebellion? Hebrews chapter three, a little bit earlier, verse seven. 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Right, so if you're a Jewish person, you know that wilderness event is when Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. The promises weren't there yet, but they were told when they left. There was all this great stuff coming from God. God was your God. The God who's been your God has finally come to rescue you out of Egypt. Some expectations got created and they ventured into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, it was harder than they thought. And they were tested. Life, life is going to test you. Your faith is going to be tested. Your conclusions, your expectations are going to be tested. And in that environment, there's a danger here. An evil, unbelieving heart, a hardening of the heart. Testing is almost like a medical diagnosis. Testing can produce heart disease for the Christian. You can find yourself in a moment where your expectations are so out of step with the realities of walking with Jesus that your heart is tempted to become hard and resistant and distant to him. Hebrews 4 verse 6 Those who formerly received the good news, right? Those guys in the wilderness who had received good news from God failed to enter because of disobedience. Hebrews 4.11. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Pay careful attention to these words. These are, these are sobering words. These are words of people who sort of feel like they want a refund because they feel like they're victims of their circumstances. Things are not going the way we thought they were going to go. And they've moved from questioning their circumstances to the word disobedience. They're now flat out disobedient to God. At one point, you might just feel sorry for them or for yourself, but now they're disobedient. Hebrews 4 verse 13, let let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold on to what we believe. Don't give up on what you put your faith in. That's what that's saying. Verse 16 of chapter four, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Time of need. We sang about that this morning. Thank you guys so much for leading us to hear from God's spirit. Time of need. When you start feeling, you know, there's moments in our lives and I don't, I don't feel I have a need, right? I mean, you just, you know, your bills are paid. You got stuff in the, everything's going well. Everybody's healthy. It's going good. You're not in touch with, you know, you sing that song. You don't feel the need, but there are moments when need is the first thing you're in touch with. It's louder than anything else happening in your life. That moment is an hour of testing. That's when your faith, what you're going to trust, how are you going to get through this is being 
tested. And that's a dangerous moment. And then he says this later, right? He brings that up, drawing near to the throne of grace, finding mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And then he brings up later in Hebrews 5 or 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Can you hear because I'm not going to pick up every one of these, but we're going to go through the book. Can you hear? This is Holy Spirit-inspired thoughts trying to explain to you why is your life the way it is? And how do you react to it? You need to draw near to God and seek out mercy from him in your hour of need. Oh, by the way, Jesus did that. He did that. He was heard by God, loud cries and tears. Is that what your prayer room feels like sometimes? You've been in a moment where you are crying out to God, full of emotion. You've run out of words, part angry, part cursing. Jesus was in a moment like that, where he cried out with loud tears. And carefully read this. To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. Did he get saved from death? Come on. That's hard, isn't it? You get in your prayer closet. You are full of tears. With all sincerity, you are crying out to God about things that you know a little bit about, but not everything about. And somehow in Jesus' humanity, you have him in the Garden of Gethsemane, having a moment in the limitation that he placed upon himself by becoming man and walking in step with the Father. And he asked this question in prayer. Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And you and I know the answer to that, don't we? It's not possible. It did not keep him from praying it. The son of God with loud cries and tears cried out for something different and he didn't get it. Sometimes life just lands in some categories that you'd prefer it not to, doesn't it? Even for the son of God. And this is the inspired word of God to the Hebrews trying to explain to them. This is, this is trying to be a source of comfort to them. You have felt those kinds of prayers. You have been disappointed in that kind of a way. Do you, do you know Jesus prayed that way and faced no from the Father? Did you know that? Did, did you know that even he learned obedience through what he suffered? Did you, do you know why that verse is in the Bible? Because it's trying to explain to people who are suffering the meaning of what they're going through, which is a hard task, quite honestly. 
I wrote in your notes, these people faced moments that felt disillusioning and desperate, that felt like it would crush the hope out of them, and they would be tempted to turn away from following Christ. Like those with Moses, who were delivered out of all the affliction of Egypt. But what did they want to do when they got near the promised land? Do you guys remember? They wanted to go back. That's exactly this audience. They're thinking about going back. Hebrews chapter 10. You hear more of this. Matter of fact, a lot of this sounds like, come on, man. Come on. A lot of these verses could be preceded if they were translated in the modern setting. Come on, man. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Come on, man. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Again, let us hold fast. Don't let go of what you believe. Don't do it without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, listen, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? Have, have you known the context of that verse that you pull out of your wallet on people who've missed church too many times? Hey, 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 brother. You know, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you understand why that verse is here? Because there are moments in your life that you are being tested by life and your, your heart is shrinking and your affections toward the things of God and you are vulnerable and you are being tested and you feel like you want to put some distance between this God who keeps disappointing you and doing stuff you can't explain. I don't want to be near him. I don't want to get around him right now. Because I don't like the way this feels. Let us consider how, how are we going to help people like that? That's what this verse says. How to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together. Right, right now, if I were to ask you right now, who do you know who's in that condition? They're not here this morning. They haven't been here in months. And there's probably multiple reasons why that's true. But part of what's going on for them is they don't like the way life feels and how it's going. Their expectations were here and their life is here. And, and they can't explain it. And they're discouraged and they just lack motivation. They just don't feel like taking one step spiritually. Right, this is the Hebrews. And these are people that we know and love. This is why we do something like instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We teach one another how to do personal ministry where the reality of where these folks are needs to be real to us so that we're not these unreasonable idiots with Bible verses who come to their moment with them and slap a ticket on them because they haven't been in church. How about we weep with them? How about we figure out what's become so disorienting and so confusing and so hard to take the next step in. They're not sure they want to follow Jesus any farther. Just like in the wilderness. Hey, I hated Egypt and it was a horrible place and we were enslaved. But, but this is full of unknowns and it's awakened a fear in me like I never knew. I think I'd rather go back there. At least I know what to happen 
next. Now I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm having a hard time taking the next step. Hey, please don't be a person who doesn't get that at all. Really, you've never been in a moment like that? You probably have. You just maybe haven't owned it. Here's their resume. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. He says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. Your friends, your church members, your family members. For you had compassion on those in prison. You, you know people in prison. Not, not because they're corrupt mafia bosses, but because they're on the wrong side of the Roman rule. Remember, to be a Christian, you were a cult member. It was a very small group of people. It was a belief system that didn't fit in. They didn't know how to regulate it because it wasn't like anything else in their world. And so these people are weird. And they, and they do what? They eat flesh and drink blood when they get together? These people are cult weirdos. So you kind of treated them that way. And it results in what you see here. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance. What do you need right now in this moment? You need endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. If this letter is written mid sixties in the first century, it's just on the other side of Rome burning, right? Remember Nero, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. If you know anything about history, and there was a moment in which when that happens and all the political fallout and all that was going on, he found it convenient to blame these weirdo Christians for burning down Rome. Well, guess what happened once that conspiracy theory caught fire? You had all kinds of friends who, the way the system of life was set up, you, you needed to know somebody to have a decent job that day. So the patrons were, were people, of, they were the wealthy people. They were the lords, if you will, of Rome. And they owned stuff. They owned businesses. They owned industry. They owned lands. And if you wanted to make a decent living, you needed to be in good with one of those guys. And they needed to employ you. And as soon as the Rome burning problem happened and the Christians were the result and they found out you were one of them, you started losing your job, your property, you know, walk with a Christian through the suffering of them having a bed to live in, and now they're taking their home away from them. And where are we going to live? This was practically difficult in ways that would have troubled every one of us. What happened to all authority, Jesus? What happened to praying in your name? What happened to you shall receive power? I'm unemployed. I can't feed my family. Do you understand where disillusionment can set in in this moment? Hendrickson and Kistemacher in their Hebrews commentary says, if there is one book of the New Testament that exhorts the Christian to remain faithful in the last days, it is the epistle to the Hebrews. The epistle has a special message for a day marked by apostasy. 
It addresses the believer who, facing unbelief and disobedience, must stand firm in the faith. The letter to the Hebrews, then, is an exhortation to faithfulness. The admonitions reveal the warm heart and deep concern of the pastor writer. Constantly, in the epistle, the author pleads with the reader to remain faithful to the gospel and not to drift away. Christians have to be helped to not drift away. It's just a reality. He stresses corporate responsibility. Fellow believers are exhorted to take care that not one believer is allowed to turn away from the living God. You and I, we've been Christians for very long. We've watched people that we know drift from God. And they're not here. And you might think, Well, they're in another church sometimes. Sometimes they're just nowhere. And probably what we find in Hebrews began that drift. Disillusionment. I didn't think it was going to be this way. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I've gone through something that I wasn't prepared for. That's not what I thought Jesus would ever let happen. That's affected them. And you and I are made aware of that. Michael Kruger in his commentary says, but it is the audience that really helps us to understand the book. Is that not true? After you heard all this, you read Hebrews, you're going to read it differently now that you understand who these people are. Hebrews is just another name for the Jewish people. The audience appears to be primarily Jewish Christians who grew up in Judaism, but have believed in Jesus. They have embraced him as the Messiah, yet they have hit a snag. For whatever reason, perhaps the pressure of persecution and opposition, they are thinking about going back to their old life, to Judaism. They are considering leaving this newfound faith and going back to the old ways. Animal sacrifices, worship in the temple, the old paths, if you will, that Jews had trusted in their generations. In other words, these people are starting to doubt whether this Jesus thing is all at first promised to be. What God gives us in the book of Hebrews is a doctrinal anchor. That's a great phrase. A clear and detailed understanding of exactly how and why Jesus is better than anything else. This will prevent us from drifting. Can you just catch that for a second? We'll unpack it a lot. Hebrews is not not going to solve, eliminate, or turn down the volume of you experiencing pain. In this fallen world, you may go through some of the most painful moments that all of us would prefer not to. And Hebrews doesn't have a secret prayer that if you'll just pray this, those difficulties will stay away from you. But what it does do, it does make clear that in this fallen world, there is nothing better than following Jesus. And it wants to convince you of that. That is the angle that Hebrews 
is after. I think I wrote in your outline, whatever landed on these believers in mid 21st century, perhaps could be similar to what's landed on Christians in early 21st century. Not exactly the same, but a lot of similar feelings. In the last decade, I think any of us who are responsible for a number of people and walk with people in their pain have encountered, I would say more in all these categories, more discouragement in people's lives, more disappointment that they're walking through, more despondency about their faith and taking another step, more deconstruction of their faith than I've ever seen. I got saved in 1979. I've been a pastor since 1993. I've never seen so much deconstruction in my life of people staring at their faith and raising questions about what they believe and abandoning pieces of what they believe and walking away from it. But, you know, which creates this weird thing. Well, I don't, I don't really believe that. But yeah, but that is hardwired into this and this and this. And the next thing, now you're gonna have to figure out what to do with these things because these things are dependent upon that. And you guys will remember that the tone of our culture back around 2010 to almost to today, it's starting to die out a little bit and change, was question everything. Question everything. Why do you question stuff? I question stuff because I don't like the way it is. When everything's cool, I'm not wanting to pull out my microscope and put everything under the microscope and get, get all analytical. And what, why is that? And why did you, when you ask someone, why did you do that? Because you liked what they did? You ask them why, because you didn't like what they did. I don't like life. I don't like the way life feels. So I'm more than happy to question everything because there's, there's some ideas here that just don't work for me. Now, I don't remember exactly what year it was when, when alternative rock music came along, alternative music somewhere, maybe 90s, I guess, you know, Nirvana, you guys old enough to remember Nirvana. About that time, Switchfoot shows up on the scene of the Christian universe. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> knew, knew I'd get an amen from Phil on that. Uh, Switchfoot's kind of like the Christian Nirvana. They're, they're alternative, but they're living in that disgruntled moment of life. That's what Nirvana was. They were disgruntled about life. And Switchfoot lives in the fact that life can feel disgruntled. And, you know, some of the lyrics, this is, this is the, they had just redone this, this uh, album and released it again recently. But this was written in 2003. And some of the lines sound like this. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is your life. Is it everything you dreamed of when the world was younger? And the answer is no. Disappointed? Yeah. In some ways, not with everything, but yeah. It, you like your life? I mean, if you, this is your life. Are, are you who you want to be? Right, there's a little piece of us that, that kind of like, hey, well, you know, it is what it is, dude. It's not exactly how I thought it was going to turn out in a few categories. So, yeah, 
You know, in some ways, I think at least I'd like a little bit of a refund, not totally, but somewhat. Same album. Life is not what I thought it was 24 hours ago. And I'm not who I thought I was 24 hours ago. Because something happened within those last 24 hours that was so hard to explain, so hard to figure out. It just launched me into a moment of, I don't know what to make of this. Right? And that's how our, our world. So first century Hebrews is an audience that would have probably totally identified with Switchfoot. Life isn't what I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it would be this way. I didn't think it would be this hard. And so we get to the writer of Hebrews. And this is why I started you in the middle of the book, right? So if we plunge into Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 follows Hebrews 11, where a group of followers of Jesus have been called to testify here's what my story was like and here's what my experience was like and here's what I went through and here's what we did and they, they gather with us who are wondering, should I take another step to follow Jesus? And all these stories from Hebrews 11 get gathered and when you go read Hebrews 11, which we will, you're not going to find a lot of easy stories. You're going to find hard stories. It's the hall of faith chapter. You're going to find people who needed faith to travel through the lands that God led them through. And the writer of Hebrews stands them all up and says, hey, pay attention to those guys. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says this very famous verses. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, like, like them, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then in verse 3 it says, consider him. So here's the angle that Hebrews, and notice this because you're gonna, we're going to see over a dozen times a little phrase, let us, let us, let us. You're going to hear something here. Stare at this. Now let us. Now, hey, look at this now. Now let us. And that's the pattern of the Bible, by the way. Don't get uncomfortable with the idea that justification must mean God did everything and we do nothing. There's a lot of let us in the Bible. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Look at what he did. Now let us. So be comfortable as we travel through this book. It's going to say let us many times to pull us into activity based on what we've just learned. And it's going to pull us into enduring activity. Enduring in a moment where, wait, Jesus, you, you gave us some expectations with this all authority is mine. If you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it. And, and here's the power of the Holy Spirit. And go into all the world and I'm with you to the end. We kind of expected 30 years later, it was going to look a little different than this. And the Holy Spirit inspires Hebrews and says, not, oh my gosh, what did you guys do? It just brings the wisdom of God into this moment. And it invites us to consider something. 
the race set before us. Hebrews 11 is a story of many, many people who describe the race set before them. You and I have a race set before us. It's it's not luck of the draw. It's not chance. It's not fate. It's not destiny. It's a race set before us, which raises the question, who, who set that race before you? The providential sovereign God of the universe set a race before each one of us. So can, can I get you to think about your race a little bit? It's a sovereign race, the details of which God has arranged. Your family origin, the people you're related to, the people from whom you come. You didn't have any say-so over that, did you? Kind of wished you had, but (laughs) you didn't. I was born February 26, 1964 to Patricia and Newman Collins. I have one brother. I come from a family that influenced my life. They were in my life. They did some things I'm grateful for. They did some things that were painful. I'd prefer the race to have been a little different in several categories. There are a number of things about my life growing up that I would like to ask for a refund. There's stories about their lives. There's things that they went through that I walked through with them that I didn't care for that. I didn't want that way. There are moments, too many to remember, where the outcome of their life wasn't what I prayed for. I prayed for something different. I didn't pray for my brother who was three years older than me to drink himself to death, literally, and die when he was 54 years old. I prayed the opposite of that. I, loud cries and tears, asked for something different, and I had lots of reasons why I asked for that. Good ones, biblical reasons. And I stood right there and did his funeral. And I'm going to stand right there and do another funeral next Saturday. For a person that I prayed differently for. To a God who could have saved him from death. But there was a race set before us. Right, Debbie? Appointed by God. You have things about your life that are appointed by God.
And there's things you may not like about your life. We live in a world today that's decided it doesn't like its gender. Gender is an assignment. It's an assignment. You may not like your talents or your smarts or your abilities. Just had the NBA draft. They didn't call my name again. (laughs) Not sure. I think it's my height is the problem. You guys know, I mean, probably every year I've got another chunk of my head cut off of me. It's like I'm blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy growing up and my body doesn't like the sun. And it absorbed way too much of it. So I've had multiple skin cancer issues. Race set before me. I could have been dark like at least somebody in here, huh? But I wasn't. I am wonderfully married to the same person who is my dearest friend and greatest joy in life. That may not be your story, though. You may have had your heart broken in marriage. You may be here to divorced today. You may be in a marriage that's been hard. You may be married to an unbeliever. Your children may un- be unbelievers who drag your story into their difficulties. One heartbreaking moment after another. Do you realize you are called to run with endurance the race God has set before you? And the Bible's trying to comfort you by telling you that. It's not a punishment. And what, what are we going to do with this? What do we do with our lives? Right, so I'll give you a little life inventory because I want this to be real for you. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. But can you maybe, maybe you can check some of these off for yourself. And own it for where you are. You don't have to fake life, right? Hebrews is not written to a bunch of people faking something. They're really having a hard time. Some of them really do want to quit. So what sentence would you describe your life race? It's describing your life race at this time. Maybe you're enduring a season of exhaustion. Family needs, work, social expectations, endless schedule. Maybe you're enduring a season of decline. Your health has been declining. Your energy. Maybe your enthusiasm. Your relationships are declining. Maybe you're running the early stages of marriage and family. That's where you are right now. Or you're enduring a long season of singleness. You're not married. Maybe you're widowed. Sometimes you're lonely. You're disappointed. Sometimes you feel isolated. Maybe you're enduring a demanding career. The job's no longer new. It often lacks eagerness and excitement. feels routine. You struggle with just the sameness. You go to work every day. It's just the same thing. Maybe you're running a race with a relational deficiencies and breakdowns. Divorce. Difficult, unrewarding marriage. Distant or disconnected adult children. Maybe you've been betrayed by friends and you're now excluded, rejected by your family. Maybe maybe this is how you would describe your race. Maybe you're running the empty nest leg of race, asking, what now? What do I do do now? 
You're running a race with frequent financial struggles and setbacks. You're barely getting by. You're not getting ahead each month. You're not getting to live the American dream that you see other people living. You're running a race, a strong history of abuse or trauma in your background. And it just seems to show up again and again. You can't, can't seem to figure out how to get beyond the damage from the past. Maybe you're running a race with significant mental or emotional instability, personally. Maybe you're running a race as a caregiver for a family member that takes a lot from you to give to them. It's redefined your life. You can see some of those other examples there. Whether you're first century Hebrews or you're 21st century us, what do you, what do you, what do, you do to run this race with endurance. Well, there was one particular instruction that he's going to unpack throughout the entire book of Hebrews. We're going to look to Jesus. We're going to consider him. And that's actually where Hebrews starts. Hebrews chapter one, verse one, introduces you to this Jesus. And he's going to speak in the book of Hebrews about Jesus in ways that maybe some of us haven't really looked at him that way. But this is the inspired word of God written to an audience that was struggling to keep going. And the Holy Spirit thought, you know what? You need to talk about this dimension of Jesus and that dimension of Jesus and that aspect of Jesus. And this is why expository study is helpful. Because maybe you want to talk about some other dimension of Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews who knows you're tempted to quit, says, can I just get you to consider him and take a fresh look at him? And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do this this morning. Let me ask the band if they'll come up in the communion servers if they'll make their way here. Communion is a moment inaugurated and given in scripture for us to consider Jesus. Let's take a look at him. So what we have in communion is a moment where whatever our life has taken on, whatever category we find ourselves living in, communion brings us back to look at him, to consider Jesus in the midst of a noisy life, a painful life, a discouraging life, to do what Hebrews chapter 12 instructs us to do. Let us look to Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, this is a meal designed for you. It's a meal designed for those moments for you to rethink some things about who am I to this Jesus? This is a covenant meal you're about to eat. The emblems say something about considering Jesus, that emblem of his body that God put on flesh and the blood represented by the cup. They they give you something to consider, don't they, in this moment. So if you are following Jesus, listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is not a meal for you. It doesn't mean anything. But if you're following Jesus, you put your faith, your trust, and your hope in him. Find your way up. We're going to ask you to be released just row by row. 
You guys will exit to your right, come back on the other side of your pew and enter in that, that direction. Come on up, find these guys, get served. When everybody has been served, hold on to the cracker and the cup, and then I'll come back up and give us a couple of thoughts. We'll pray together. But go ahead and you guys, go ahead and get up if you want to receive communion today. Come on up. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you, what's in
intended to clarify deep doctrine in the midst of the confusion of life. It's, it's meant to do that. You have this little section in Hebrews that starts with this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the passage that talks about the groaning that we experience in this world. And the groaning can get so noisy and the suffering can feel so profound that we just get blurry on a lot of other stuff. And then we hold two things here intended to refocus us. You hold the emblem of the God who became flesh, the God who came near to us, the God who entered our mess and our need and took on himself our suffering, the God who was inflicted with the pain of our judgment and our sin. And I know when you go through the most profound moment of suffering, it feels like God is nowhere to be found. Right? Where God, where are you? What are you doing, God? I'm right here. I became one of you. Surely our griefs he himself bore. You hold a replica, something that reminds you of the moment when the Son of God bore the very grief you're mentioning to him right now. The very grief that's making you say, God, where are you? God, don't you know what's going on with me right now? I know exactly what's going on with you. I bore your griefs in my body. I don't just know about your griefs. I know your griefs. I don't just know about tears you're shedding. I shed tears for your griefs. This is intended to remind me that that's true. Let's take the bread. This was supposed to remind us of something a cup that reminds us that blood was shed. Blood got shed in the scriptures when covenants were drawn. And blood gets explained to us as the key to forgiveness. So in my moment, whatever grief my moment may be, I look at this cup and I remember there is not a separation between me and my God anymore. Because the blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. And 
where there is the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness. So I know that in my moment of grief, I, I'm not separated from him. Well, it feels like I might be, I am not separated from him. But this, this cup speaks of something else. It speaks of an arrangement. It speaks of a promise. It speaks of a covenant promise God made to bring us into the promises, to bring us into the promised land, to prepare for us something that was in this verse, the sufferings of this present time. They're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Well, how do I know that's ever going to come true? This is how you know. You know you have a promise based on the blood shed by Christ that God will make good in the right moment in eternity. I need to remember that. Amen. Let's take the cup. Father, we thank you for truly not being distant from the lives that the Hebrews lived that felt full of confusion, tempting them to hardened hearts and even disobedience. Lord, you inspired an entire book to reveal powerful truths that they needed and that we need. So Lord, we thank you. Go on this venture with us. Teach us deep doctrine to give us daily hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And bless you guys. Guys watching, we miss you. Forward to seeing you.